This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted, as always, to be here with you today. Coming up later in this week's episode, I will be answering a reader question for the first time in a while. And if you have a question of your own or a comment or or something that you would like me to address on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cattail, or just something you would like to express to me that, that you just can't keep to yourself any longer, please feel free to email me at Gwen, G-W-E-N, at GwenCooper.com. Or you can head on over to my website, GwenCooper.com. There is a comments page for, there's actually a page for the podcast. And at the bottom of that page is a comment section. And I um, I always read the comments and, and I respond one way or another to all of them. Sometimes I just heart the comment if it doesn't necessarily demand a, a wordy response from me, but I read them, I see them, I take them into account. And so I would love to hear from you. Um, although I will say, and, and first let me thank, by the way, everybody who listened to last week's episode and my conversation with Charlotte Maxwell Jones which was, it was just such a, a thrill and an honor for me to be able to, to record that interview, to speak with Charlotte directly and, and to bring that to all of you. Um, and I actually, I, I got more email and, and definitely heard from a lot more people than is typical for me to hear from after a new podcast episode has dropped. Um, you know, at one point in the conversation that I had, with Charlotte, only part of which was recorded. Uh, there, we also had, there's part of the conversation that was not recorded, not for the sake of being secretive or anything. That's just kind of how it works. You you start the Zoom, you ch- chat a little bit, and then you explain, you know, I explain, all right, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to hit the record button, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then, of course, after I stop recording, that is not necessarily the end of the conversation. And Charlotte and I ended up talking for a while after the the official interview part. Anyway, but at one point, um, Charlotte said to me, you know, I and, and she was talking again about every, the, the events of August, everything that had happened at Kabul Airport, the aftermath of that. And she said to me at one point, you know, I, I really came to understand how or, or why it is that that some teenagers commit suicide after being bullied on social media. And that was her addressing a lot of the the negativity and the attacks and and just general unpleasantness that she has faced on social media since the the since her campaign began to to evacuate all the animals back in August and and in the months since then um and I ended up hearing from quite a few people who had some really negative things to say. 
And not a lot of it necessarily bears addressing directly or responding to. I did, I will say that I, you know, I've been doing this for, I guess, 12 years. I've been Homer's mom in the public eye for 12 years. It it is 12 years since Homer's Odyssey. Good Lord. 12 years since Homer's Odyssey was first published. By the way, Fanny and Clayton, I should add as a side note, turned 10 this week. Fanny and Clayton, my kittens, my kittens, the kittens I adopted to be companions to Homer. They turned 10 this week. They're 10. How did that happen? How are they 10 years old? That is just so crazy to me. I really do feel like I just adopted them yesterday. Every cliche in the world about how much faster time moves as you get older I, you know, these things are cliches for a reason. It's so true. Um, I, I can't believe they're 10. They were so itty bitty little when I adopted them. And I swear it was yesterday. It was yesterday. I adopted them yesterday and today they're 10. Anyway, <laughs> but putting that aside, um, I lost my train of thought a little bit. But I, I've been doing this for 12 years and I have gotten, and this is true, something close to 15,000 emails from readers or or just general members of the public, the overwhelming majority of which have been very, very positive and, and had just been lovely and, and a pleasure to read. But some of them have been negative. I have heard from some people who didn't like the book, who didn't like me, who did not agree with or approve of certain choices that I made at various times in my life and over the years with regards to my cats. Um, but I, I've always managed to either respond pleasantly or very rarely not respond at all. I will usually, even when somebody has written something that I think is out of line or, or that it was not pleasant for me to read, I will thank them for having taken the time to reach out to me and express their thoughts. And so this is all by way of saying that, that this past week I did send the first unpleasant response to an email that I got, um, ever. Since I've been doing this, after after this person, if only she knew, after 15,000 pleasant, anodyne, thanks so much for writing to me responses or the occasional no response at all, because as your mother always said, right, if you have nothing nice to say, then perhaps it's better not to say anything. Um, I wrote a a, a not mean, but kind of impatient response because I get this email from this woman who who I've never heard of. I mean, who's not, you know, some friend of mine or anything. And she announces at, at the top of the email, the first thing she says is, I haven't listened to your interview with Charlotte, but I'm wondering. And then she goes on to ask this series of really snide questions, most of which, by the way, you know, at core, there's maybe some substance to them, but they were all answered in this interview that she had just told me she hadn't listened to. So in other words, she writes to tell me, I'm not going to listen to your interview, but I want you to answer just for me personally, a total stranger, by the way, I want you to take the time and write out answers to a bunch of questions that are contained in an interview that I have no intention of listening to. And I'm telling you that right now. And I, I man, it just hit me the, the wrong way on the wrong day. And I, I did not write back anything, you know, obscenity laden or anything like that. But I did let her know that that my opinion of her was not high and that I found her to be something of a pest. I, uh, I, I gave her a good uh, New York lady. Um, that's what I call, you know, like lady. <laughs> <laughs> when you address someone as lady, don't tell me your troubles, lady. And um, but anyway, I, I I did want to address a little bit some some of the 
not even necessarily the, the general concerns about Charlotte. I, I feel like this is maybe a good opportunity to clarify some things because I do a lot of, of advocating for nonprofit organizations for animal rescue in general and certainly for specific animal rescue organizations that I think are doing a particularly good job or, or at, at any given moment are in a special need of assistance from my readers and my listeners. So maybe it, it d- wouldn't hurt to talk a little bit about how I select who I'm going to mention to you, what kind of thought process goes into that, and and just so you guys know and can evaluate for yourselves. Um, so let me and 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 I guess you know maybe here is as good as an opportunity as any to explain a general philosophy. So first of all, I. 99.999% of the time, I'm going to come to you on behalf of a nonprofit organization and not just some individual person. Um, and that is not because there are not individual people doing amazing work or who are in need of help so much as I, I do want there to be some accountability. You know, nonprofit organizations, they register with the government, they they have to have certain tax forms, and or they're at least doing their work in the public eye. There's some accountability there is the point that I am making. And, and accountability is important to me. I will say um, that, that Charlotte, in, in terms of due diligence, um, Charlotte and Cobble Small Animal Rescue, I had not just heard of them for the first time the last week in August when during the the craziness of the evacuations. I will admit that Nowzad, which is the British counterpart, sort of the British equivalent of Cobble Small Animal Rescue, was an organization that I had only heard of for the first time during that last week of August. But Cobble Small Animal Rescue and Charlotte Maxwell-Jones, I had been reading about in various journalistic outlets whose fact-checking and and general integrity and reputations I trust uh, completely. And I say this, I'm leading off with this because there there were a lot of people, you know, obviously a lot of money was donated and raised. And this was just a monumental effort, both in August, trying to get the animals out and then the successful effort uh, a couple of weeks ago that that finally did get the these you know nearly 300 cats and dogs out of Afghanistan uh there there was a lot of money raised and there was a lot of money spent on the effort and i, I so some of the snide questions i i got were very insinuating about charlotte just taking this money and, and absconding with it basically And the thing of it is, you know, it's very hard, even with a nonprofit organization, right? People lie to the government. They lie on their tax documents all the time. It can actually be incredibly difficult, even when you do your due diligence as an outsider before you recommend that someone donate to an organization. How do you really know what they're doing with the money? Um, I worried about that. Not at all with Charlotte, because I did not believe, I mean, just on a common sense basis, I did not believe then and I do not believe now that somebody who who is not really helping animals or using the money to help animals is would would take that much money and then stay in Afghanistan she is living in Afghanistan i don't know what some of you brainiacs think she is doing with the money in Afghanistan that is not for the benefit of the animals if you think she is like like living large I'm going to keep repeating in Afghanistan, one of the most poverty-stricken 
miserable hellholes on the face of this earth, forgive me, um, uh, particularly as an American woman who's used to a certain level of, of, of freedom and, and physical safety that she does not enjoy. Again, there were parts of, of the interview or my conversation with her that I did not and could not air. Um, but if, if you were going to raise that kind of money and then spend it on yourself, there are much, much, much better places in the world to do that than Afghanistan. I mean, where I live in Jersey City, it ain't exactly the Riviera, and it would still be a better place to to spend a million dollars than Afghanistan. So that that is the, the for just on a common sense level. Um, I I yeah. I will also add, by the way, that that Charlotte and her staff thoroughly document their work on. Um, on the Cobble Small Animal Rescue Facebook page, which I encourage everybody to check out. Again, it just seems like it would be an awful lot of, of effort and work to go to um, to make some sort of a smokescreen out of this, to to find so many cats and dogs in such pitiful shape and then record yourself assisting them all in service of, of some sort of money-sucking scam. I'm, I'm honestly not sure how that would work. Um, but the, the work is documented and again, she's been Charlotte has been reported on by outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post. Um, I, I think possibly Fox News. I'm not sure. Uh, there, but there are any number. If you do a Google search and you go back far enough, you'll see that they've been writing about her for a while. Um, and speaking of her staff, this was something else that I wanted to address because I, I heard from a lot of people. So basically, there a lot of people have second guessed uh, what Charlotte did. That day, you know, again, those of you who've been listening or who've been following the story know that Charlotte's attempts to leave Afghanistan with the animals in her care back in August were unsuccessful and that she ended up having to release some 150 dogs into the airport, uh, many of whom ended up dying. She was not able to recapture them before the, the, the terrible conditions at the airport took their toll. And she, of course, was, was heartbroken about this, um, but also because, you know, Charlotte was not able to get out, the animals were not able to get out, and Charlotte's staff were also not able to get out. Many of them are still attempting to leave Afghanistan. And so I, I also heard from people who were upset about the decisions that Charlotte had made that day, the, the, on August 31st, the day of the evacuation from Kabul, amidst the bombs and the tear gas and the chaos and and everything that was happening, um, and who also are angry at Charlotte about the predicament that her staff now finds themselves in. So I wanted to address that a little bit as well. Um, you know, I, I have only been in one situation in my life that that comes even a little bit close, like the teensiest bit close to approximating the, the chaos and confusion and terror that Charlotte would have found herself in at the Kabul airport in the days leading up to August 31st. And that was on September 11th. Um, those of you who've read Homer's Honesty know that that I was very close physically to the site of the World Trade Center. And when the towers fell, I was on the Brooklyn Bridge heading out of, uh, I mean, walking on foot, 
heading out of Lower Manhattan into Brooklyn. And it was me along with many, many thousands of people. Uh, The bridge was closed to automobile traffic at that point. And the entire bridge was just this wall of human flesh, basically. And I was just pressed into it. And when the first tower, we and we were all on edge. Uh, you know, at this point, we we didn't know what was happening. We didn't even know about the Pentagon until at one point on the bridge, somebody ran by yelling, "They just blew up the Pentagon!" And and but we were all worried that they might blow up the Brooklyn Bridge, whoever they were. We didn't know who they were, but there clearly was a they. It was clear at that point that there was a they, and we were concerned. We were were all terrified that they were going to blow up the Brooklyn Bridge while we were on it, trying to get out of Lower Manhattan. And the first tower collapsed while I was on the bridge. And for a moment, and and, and the, the reverberation of, of the rubble hitting the ground caused the bridge to shake a little bit. And th- we had our backs to Manhattan, so it was not immediately visually obvious what was happening. We were facing Brooklyn and there was like like the the entire crowd for a split second became convinced that they were blowing up the bridge while we were on it and people started to scream and to run um a a woman near me fell down and people were trampling her and some people larger than i am uh, attempted you know tried to 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 lift her up and then i was with my friend um, anyway, I was with a, a coworker and friend and we attempted also to, to help lift this woman up. And I remember yelling at her, you have to get up or they will, they will kill you. And I swear to God at that moment, I didn't know if they meant if the they I was referring to was whoever was attacking us or the other people on the bridge. Um, and then we, we sort of all turned around and we saw the, the, the rubble, you know, we saw the smoke plume, the, the, the tower collapsing. And so we understood that what was happening was not that the bridge was being blown up, but that the tower was collapsing. And, and I saw this enormous smoke cloud and, and my cats were in an apartment in that smoke cloud that was starting to spread out only three blocks away. They, they were only three blocks away from the World Trade Center. And so my first impulse was I turned around and it, I, I was going to try to walk back to Manhattan against the, this tide, this panicked, I mean, what was now a panicked and frenzied tide of thousands of people. And my my friend, the, the coworker I was with, grabbed my arm and, and said, you, you can't do this. And, and I said, I have to do this. And she said, you cannot do this. And I... Uh, eventually turned around and and started going back toward Brooklyn Um, because I knew in that moment that I was not going to make it through that crowd and and that I might actually literally die trying to do so. Um, And and I'm telling this story again, this this is, uh, I'm not even trying to compare this to the evacuation of a war zone that that Charlotte was going through in August. My story had a happy ending because I was able to get back to my cats three days later. And so the choices that I made were sort of retrospectively justified by the success, the ultimate success of the outcome. I got back to my cats. It was only three days later. It was three terrifying days. They had run out of food and water probably 24 hours before that. 
it was it was unpleasant and uncomfortable and stressful and and scary for all of us. But in the end, my cats were fine. Um, but if I had not, but let's say things had worked out that where I had not been able to get back three days later, let's say I had not been able to get back until my cats had already sustained some damage or, you know, some damage to their health or or possibly even died. Um, I am 100% confident in that scenario, if I had not been successful, then everybody who has been very supportive of me in the telling of that story, everybody, th- there would be a lot of people who would be very judgmental and who would say, I don't care what was going on. I would never have left. If I, if it were me, I would have turned around on that bridge and I would have pushed through however many people I had to push through and I would have gotten back to lower Manhattan. I would have gotten back to my cats. I would never have left Manhattan. I would never have walked to Brooklyn without being able to get back to my cats, without knowing how they were, without trying to rescue them and pull them out of this. I would never have done that. And maybe that's true, but you shouldn't be as sure of that as you think you are right now. Because the truth of the matter is nobody knows what they're going to do in a life or death situation. Nobody knows how physically strong or courageous they are going to be. And even putting that aside, nobody knows what 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 is going to seem to make sense in a moment that looking back may not make sense or it may still make sense even though you don't like the outcome that that came of it, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty, et cetera, et cetera. But in a moment of if, if you think you know how you would act, exactly how you would act in a moment of sheer chaos and ignorance where you don't know what's going on and terror, please allow me to disabuse you of that notion. No, you don't. No, you don't. And none of us who are sitting here in the comforts of our homes or our gyms or our cars or wherever it is that you listen to this podcast, none of you and that includes me, were there with Charlotte at the Kabul airport on August 31st when, pardon my language, shit went down and decisions had to be made on the fly under terrifying, life-threatening circumstances on the spur of the moment. And where, and I, at the end of the day, on September 11th, I was re- responsible for my life and three others. Charlotte had herself and a staff and nearly 300 cats and dogs that she was responsible for in a war zone, in a literal war zone. Um, as far as any follow-up for for Charlotte's staff, those who are still trying to leave, again, and some people wrote to me saying that, that Charlotte has betrayed her staff uh, because they are still trying to get out of Afghanistan and Charlotte is not helping them. I do not know that she is not helping them. And again, neither do you because you are not there. But I will say at a certain point, you know, Charlotte's business is is rescuing animals. And it's not a question of animals being more important than humans. But the the American immigration system is complicated enough. And again, I, I grew up in Miami. I have many, many friends who are immigrants. I have known, I've had many, many friends who are immigration attorneys over the years. I spent the first 30 years of my life in Miami. And again, I can tell you that the American immigration system is complex enough that people go to law school for years and then practice law, immigration law for years and and still have a hard time 
navigating the system. So I'm disinclined to hold Charlotte personally responsible for everything not having gone exactly as we all would have wanted it to go during this evacuation, during these moments of chaos and terror. And, and I guess, and, and this, by the way, so, so this is going to bring me to a more, my more general philosophy. And here's what those of you who listen to me and who rely on, on my insights or my advice or my suggestions or whatever you want to call it, when I bring you a, a cause or a nonprofit organization or, or a person doing who I feel is doing exemplary work, something that I feel is worthy of your attention and your support, and you're wondering, can I really trust Gwen, though? I mean, I don't even know how Gwen thinks or how Gwen makes these decisions. So, so let me tell you a little bit about my philosophy on these things. Um, first of all, I, I think that the reason why a lot of people turn, you know, come up with these wild, and I mean, because this is it, I, I have heard this past week, these wild conspiracy theories about <laughs> Charlotte and, and various things she's done with the the money and and reasons why the, the evacuation and and you know relationships she has with the Taliban and reasons why the evacuation was not successful in August or was successful now so um i i always think that that these people buy into these conspiracy theories because there are some people who who just have this need to believe that they are much smarter than everybody else um so I think the first thing you should know about me is that I do not believe that I am smarter than everybody else. I, I feel that that my entire life has been one long and occasionally embarrassing object lesson in the idea that that I am not as smart as standardized testing and the praise of various uh, teachers and my parents in my childhood might have led me to believe I was. Um, so I don't think I'm smarter than anybody else. And that, by the way, is why I rely on journalists and other news sources whom I trust, and and you should certainly find some that you trust, um, because then I I get to kind of spread spread the risk, as they say, that, of, of getting it wrong. Um but more to the point, I, I think that people have a, a terrible, terrible fear of being taken advantage of or of, of helping someone or helping a cause that turns out not to be worth it. Whereas I, as a person who worked in nonprofit for a long, long time before moving to New York, before becoming a writer, before becoming the delightful podcaster you are listening today, to today, um, and I know to a certainty that that part of, of helping others means that you are often going to help people who are not worth it. Um, one of my first jobs in, in nonprofit when I got out of college, I worked for an, or, uh, worked for an organization that aimed to present, prevent recidivism, you know, that, and that's repeat offenders, people who commit crimes, go to jail, get out of jail, and then end up back in jail for having committed new crimes. And so the organization I worked with attempted to break that cycle by finding jobs for ex-offenders. So we would go to companies, we would negotiate, because it's very, very difficult for people who've just gotten out of prison, particularly people who've committed violent crimes, to find jobs. And yet the inability to find a job is one of the, the what's the word I'm looking for, is one of the circumstances that makes it likeliest 
that a person will find themselves back in jail. And so my organization, we attempted to break that cycle by helping ex-offenders find jobs. And we would go to companies um, and we would negotiate jobs with them. We would create help work with them to create job openings, well-paying job openings that paid significantly more than minimum wage. And then parole officers would send their ex-offenders to us and we would match people with jobs. Uh, so I, I did spend a, a a good deal of time at that point in my life. I'm hanging out with with men who had just gotten out of prison. Um, I did not date any of them for <laughs> the record. Um, but certainly I knew that some of these people were going to disappoint me, right? Some of these people were not going to show up for the job interviews that we arranged for them, or they would show up for the interview and they would get the job and they would not do a good job, or they would show up for the interview, get the job, do an amazing job, but end up back in jail anyway. And they would lie to you. Sometimes they would come in and they they would tell you lies. And, and the, the point of the effort was not that every single person that you were helping was quote unquote worth it. Um, if you want to be in the business of helping others, and I don't mean the literal business, I don't mean working for a nonprofit, but if you want to be the kind of person that makes the world a better place by doing something to help others, whether that is actually working or volunteering for a cause that you care about or just donating money, please accept as the cost of doing business that sometimes you are going to help someone who doesn't deserve your help and who will disappoint you and who will take your help and throw it back in your face. And I'm not going to sit here and give a whole hearts and flowers speech about how we have to forgive these people anyway. I will merely suggest to you that if you are a serious person and you want to do serious good in the world, then you have to acknowledge the frailties of human nature are such that that sometimes your efforts are going to be disappointed and you're not doing it for the people who ultimately turn out not to be quote unquote worth it. You're doing it for the people who are because the tragedy is not you giving $10 to someone who then takes that $10 and and <laughs> absconds to sunny Mexico with it. The tragedy in life are those who deserve help and and don't get it. Because so many of us are afraid, we're just so afraid that we cannot withstand the crushing emotional devastation of having possibly helped someone who's not worth it. And so to protect ourselves from that, we don't help anybody. Or even worse, we start rumors or we perpetuate rumors or we try to to make other people who have been helping doubt the help that they've given or feel bad or feel stupid or feel like they got taken advantage of. And please, please allow me to assure you that if you are the person who is going online to spread the kinds of rumors that are going to keep other people from helping in an emergency or in a crisis situation, you had better be really, really 100% first-hand verification sure of the information you're spreading. Because if you are not, you are making the world a worse place. You are preventing help from getting where it is needed. You are preventing lives from being saved that might otherwise have been saved. And you are the kind of person 
who drove a person like me out of the nonprofit business. Because I got to tell you, there were really two reasons why I ended up leaving nonprofit work. And it was not the frustration of so often trying to help people who resisted help or spurned the help or took the help, but then ultimately did nothing useful with it. It It was not trying to help people who didn't or couldn't, didn't want to or were not able to help themselves nor was it the the ongoing battle of of never having enough money and always having so much more to do than you had the resources to accomplish. Um, it was never the feeling that however many people or animals you helped, there were always going to be more coming. Like it was just this assembly line that the world ke- just keeps churning out problems that that you were trying to solve. It was not any of that. Um, it was in part the very low salaries. At a certain point, I I could not support myself as an unmarried person on the, the money that I was making and, and just on a practical level, I, I did have to, to seek more, more lucrative work. Um, but I think even that is not ultimately, I mean, I was never in danger of, you know, being homeless. I was still young enough. I, I moved back in with my parents for a while. I, I could have done that for longer. Um, really the thing that drove me out of nonprofit work it, it was not the the never-ending cycle of people who needed help, and it was not the knowledge that there are people in the world doing actively bad things. You know, for all the abused children in the world, there are parents who are abusing their children. And, and it, it was not that. It, it was because these are all things that you're prepared to accept. It was that the people who do nothing helpful themselves – but who are are full of of criticism a- about everything that you are attempting to do to help to be of help. They don't do anything helpful, but they they get in your way and they make it harder for you to do the work of helping other people. And and they feel that this obstruction that this makes them in some way morally superior. I mean, that's the thing that was really vexing is that all of these people who have emailed me to tell me that they don't approve of the work that Charlotte has done under the circumstances in which she did it, have done nothing of note. I haven't read about any of them in the newspaper. And yet I know to a certainty that they feel like they have done something useful or beneficial. It is just so much easier to tear someone else down and then tell yourself that you have done a good thing than it is to actually do a good thing. Um, again, look, if you catch someone with their hand in the cookie jar, you should for sure blow the whistle, please, as I willfully mix my metaphors. Please don't misunderstand me. But I would suggest that if you are thinking of of being a person who's going to send an email to somebody like me or, or post something online about why people should not help a certain person or organization – Perhaps instead, you should commit to doing something that would make you the kind of person that other people should support. Instead of writing to me and telling me who I shouldn't like, why don't you commit to being the kind of person who's going to write to me and tell me about the awesome thing you're doing that someone like me should let my listeners and readers know about? Because that is unquestionably a productive thing to do, whereas spreading rumors is not. A productive thing to do. It is a hurtful thing to do. You are doing more damage than people who actually set out to do bad things. 
I, I really don't know how to put it any more strongly than that, because what drove me out of nonprofit work was not the no certain knowledge that there are always going to be people who do bad things to other people. It was the knowledge that there are so many more people who aren't going to do necessarily like anything that, that would get you punished or, or run you afoul of the law, but they are going to be part of the constant drip, 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 drip of criticism and rumor mongering and second guessing that makes it much more difficult and sometimes virtually impossible to do the work to help of helping others that you are trying to do. And if you don't want to be the person who's making the world a worse place, then I think it behooves you to be impeccably certain of any information you might be circulating before you encourage other people not to help someone in a crisis situation or in desperate and obvious need. Um, and, and so th so this is just to, I, I guess, give you guys my philosophy of, of life and, and helping others. And I cannot promise you that every time I come to you with an organization or a person or a cause, I, I cannot promise you to a 100% certainty that there will never be disappointments, either disappointments of circumstances as we had in, in Kabul in August, where circumstances just overwhelmed Charlotte and where nobody, nobody in her situation could have accomplished what she was trying to accomplish and did ultimately accomplish, by the way, under still exceedingly adverse circumstances. Sometimes we will want to accomplish things that we cannot accomplish. Sometimes we are going to put our trust in people who don't deserve that trust. Sometimes we're going to try to help others and we will be unsuccessful in doing so simply because the others that we are trying to help disappoint us one way or another. Um, if you don't have the stomach or the heart for that, then maybe helping others really isn't for you. And, and I'm not being sarcastic. Then maybe even the donation of five, 10, 50, a hundred dollars if the heartbreak of finding out that that $10 went to a person or organization who turns out not to have been worthy of it, if you can't live with that, then it's probably not for you. Um, I cannot 100% guarantee you that I will never be responsible for introducing you to a person or organization who who misuses your $10. Although I will say, Knockwood, that that has not happened yet. And Again, I, I do some due diligence before I present anyone or anything to your attention. Um, but if you do have the heart and, and if it does matter to you to feel that you are doing actual good in the world, and, and if you think you, you have the, 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 the moral, the constitutional fortitude to withstand the occasional disappointment of having misspent that $10 or $20 or $50 donation, then I encourage you to trust your heart and to trust your instincts and to please keep helping others and to please, please not be a part of the wild circulation of unsubstantiated rumors that really do a lot more harm than you may realize at the moment that you are trying to, to spread them. 
And and yeah, and like I said, now you know how I how I think about it. And so there's full disclosure and you can take or leave any recommendations I give you in the future, knowing how I arrive at those recommendations. And I'm looking at the clock now and I don't think I'm going to have time for today's reader question. So I'm going to try to hit that next week or or the week after. I did email the person with the question. Um, so I apologize to you. I promise that I'm going to get to your question uh, either in the next episode of this podcast or the one after that. But in the meantime, I do want to extend a warm welcome to Kayleen Cox. Hello, Kayleen Cox, who has just signed on to as a supporter of mine and of this podcast on Patreon. And you can find out more about Patreon at, by going to patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper. P is in Peter, A, T is in Thomas, R is in Robert, E, O, N is in Nancy, dot com slash Gwen Cooper. It is a way of becoming a kind of a part of an inner circle that supports this podcast and my writing and enables me to do both of those things independently of corporate sponsorship or the traditional publishing industry. Um and there's lots of cool stuff and cool perks and, and exclusive sort of insider-only things that that my Patreon community gets. And so welcome, Kayleen Cox. Thank you so much for joining the rest of us. And um, yeah, I, I think this is actually probably my first podcast that has ever been dedicated to, to um, commenting on the response that I got to a previous podcast episode. So I, I guess there truly is a first time for everything, but I do promise that next week it is going to be an entirely new episode that will not be commenting on any previous episodes, and I look forward to it, and I definitely look forward to having you join me again. And in the meantime, have a terrific week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, Find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts. Head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me and don't forget to hug your cat today.